Welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I am Vikas Thoot, your host for today. This week we discussed the three farm sector bills cleared by the parliament and their implications on our economy and uh, of course farmers. Uh, namely these are the essential commodities amendment bill, the farmers produce trade and commerce promotion and facilitation bill and the agreement on price assurance and farm services bill uh, that uh, parliament have uh, given its nod for. Uh, we have with us Dr. Sudha Narayanan, an associate professor at the Indira Gandhi Institute of Development Research and Dr. Arindam Banerjee, an associate professor at the School of Liberal Studies in Ambedkar University. We welcome both of you to this uh, podcast and I hope to glean some insights on what comes next for the farm sector. To begin with, uh, Professor Narayanan, would you give give us a sense of what you perceive as the crux of the uh, concerns expressed about these three bills? And do they hold up uh, in your view? Uh, You know, sometimes we say that uh, be careful what you wish for, you might actually get it. Uh, so this uh, uh, set of bills that represent uh, fairly important um, uh, changes in the marketing regulation is actually uh, something that many people were asking for because of the flaws of the APMC system. But at the same time, the forms in which these bills are are very worrying for two reasons. I I would say that one of it is because of what it says. Uh, uh, the bills are not have a lot of lacunae which are uh, a lack of regulation and regulatory oversight and reporting. So it's somewhat non-transparent. But the second thing is what it does not say. So you can't have marketing bills uh, that are devoid of the larger context of state intervention in agriculture and the broader context of agricultural policy. And so I think people are concerned not just about the uh, flaws in the bill as it exists today, but also about all that's been left unsaid. Could you give us an example of a couple of those? Uh, Yeah, sure. So uh, with the bills itself, uh, I've said uh, it in other contexts before, but uh, one of the worrying things is the APMC bypass bill, in fact, is the most controversial. So apart from issues, deeply problematic issues, where in a federal uh, structure, uh, the states have been bypassed, apart from those kind of issues, the APMC bypass bill actually assumes A, that private players don't exist at all today and the APMC is a monopoly and that is itself is a flawed assumption because for years now, many states have taken undertaken reform and private players are plenty uh, and the private players actually look to the APMC as a price setting or a, or look to the APMC for a reference price to conduct their own transactions. But what happens now is that you're trying to create an alternative that's outside the APMC, which is on advantageous terms where you don't have to pay Monday fees or taxes. Uh, so this could result in two quite perverse uh, alter, uh, consequences. One is that the APMC continues to be important and continues to set the reference price. And that makes no sense because if your private players in the market areas under the APMC bypass bill are still looking to the APMC for a reference price, then your idea that you are getting rid of the inefficient APMC doesn't hold because it's still influencing prices. 
if on the other hand you have large scale diversion of trade outside the mandi which is bound to happen uh, a because uh, new players will now prefer to trade outside the mandi because they don't have to pay charges but also apnc traders might now prefer to uh, operate outside the mandi because they don't have to pay charges so the uh, apnc actors could now move outside the apnc so if the apnc system collapses then actually this bill has no uh, uh, it hasn't envisioned any alternative uh, uh you know market a large market that can actually set price signals so you have the risk that instead of a unifying uh, unified national market you could actually have little bargaining islands where people are just setting prices without a national thick market that actually sends price signals so this actually might perversely undermine farmer interests and in that new trade area there is no regulation no data it completely invisibilizes transactions so you have no idea what is going on there in the current apmc system even with its flaws at least there is some recording there is a grievance redressal i think the current bill leaves too much to the benevolence or of the private players to give fair terms to the farmers i and on what is left unsaid i think uh, that's a deeper discussion and maybe we can revisit that later uh, it raises issues on what is the larger vision um, the state has for indian agriculture and what is the role of price support subsidies and all of that if you are uh, opening the door to private players in a way that it seems like in a way that that is devoid of regulatory oversight what does it imply for state role in indian agriculture and i think that's a different issue that we can come to later sure sure dr banerjee would you like to weigh in on the same uh, on the yeah. overall concerns about yeah i mean uh, i mean just picking up on what uh, professor narayan was saying uh, private trade in agricultural commodities is not something new in india it has always existed Uh, if you look at uh, data even today roughly only a quarter of the agricultural commodities it of course varies across crops but when you take an average it's less than a quarter of agricultural commodities which are traded uh, or sold in the apmc uh, government regulated apmc mandis so uh, it's not private trade is not something that has been absent Uh, at the same time uh, what is the justification or what is the need for these bills at uh, this point of time is primarily i think to facilitate uh, bigger private players big capital into the farm sector and uh, there are several reasons for that uh, but before i uh, go into uh, those reasons as to why the government is uh, doing it now uh, i think uh, the whole justification that the government uh, is bringing in terms of uh, why why these bills are necessary at this point of time uh, is hinged on farmers getting better prices uh, for their produce uh, because they are going to get greater choices now clearly uh, the farmers are not uh, don't seem to be convinced at least the big farmers uh, the most uh, uh, the net surplus producers in our country don't seem to be convinced and which is why we are seeing this uh, resistance in the in states like punjab and haryana and the reason for that is that uh, market prices or farmers incomes are not simply dependent on the market uh, structure of course it's an important factor and there are inefficiencies which uh, needs to be addressed from time to time but 
solely focusing on this particular aspect, ignoring many other demands uh, of the of the farmer far farmers that has been made in the past, uh, is a little uh, is an area of concern for the farmer organizations. Particularly, I mean, in the time uh, that we are currently going through a difficult economic situation resulting because of the pandemic, uh, market prices are sluggish uh, because the demand is sluggish. And uh, although, of course, the agricultural sector has been relatively less affected compared to the industrial sector and the service sector, uh, but nonetheless, uh, the prices of farmer incomes uh, actually are seeing uh, some le- lengthened uh, period of stagnation in future. And uh, and of course, the other concern for farmers that has been is the growing input costs. And in a sense, uh, I mean, different kinds of farmers from the small marginal to the big ones to a greater or lesser degree has been uh, squeezed between these rising costs of cultivation and, uh, and, and sluggish prices, particularly after 2012, uh, when the global uh, commodity prices, agricultural commodity prices actually started falling uh, for most crops, uh, farmers uh, have seen very difficult times. And uh, these concerns therefore uh, need interventions uh, on part of the government uh, in terms of greater support to the farmers in form of subsidies or otherwise uh, in terms of procurement. Uh, of course, the MSP and the procurement is there. But uh, nonetheless, I think uh, one a uh, major uh, concern that uh, is arising is because of the fact that uh, there are certain policy documents which have been uh, presented uh, uh, before the government uh, earlier, particularly the Shantakumar uh, Committee report which came out in 2015, uh, immediately after the first uh, NDA government uh, came to power, which actually talks about uh, completely replacing the Food Corporation of India uh, by cash transfers, replacing the PDS, the public distribution system, by cash transfers. And uh, the last chapter of that report actually lays out uh, how you wind up the uh, Food Corporation of India, including VRS plans and others. Now, people have read that. Uh, people have seen that. Of course, uh, governments cannot, uh, I don't think even today, any government has a political capacity to do away with the PDS directly, but what might happen as a result of these uh, facilitation of big players into the farm sector is that some farmers do get better choices and and big farmers, the net surplus producers, uh, actually start selling uh, uh, to the private players. The, there is a possibility, there is a clear possibility that the importance of the APMC and the procurement system actually withers away over time. And that is something that concerns everybody because it essentially from smaller private capital, the farmers are getting into the clutches of, of big players. And when we are talking about big players, we are talking about global players here. So, but as things stand, uh, does the functioning of APMCs uh, leave a lot to desire in terms of what it can do for farmers? And so is this, I mean, there's a, there's no argument for status quo on the APMC front, is there? No, I'm not arguing for a status quo. I mean, for any any kind of a market system that you have, and, uh, and it's not to say that the procurement system itself doesn't have flaws. The procurement and the distribution system itself has uh, several flaws, uh, primarily because of government uh, policy uh, and, and, and inefficient regulations. Uh, we still, today, we see that there's a large food stock which has accumulated even as 
hunger uh, continues to persist in the several pockets, uh, several regions in the in the in the country. So uh, there needs there is a need for reform uh, in terms of better price discovery, uh, better choice of farmers. But uh, probably uh, what is happening is that the message, you know, I mean, again, the reform of APMC. Uh, and 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 the contract farming, the other bill on uh, agri- agreement on price assurance, these are not new issues. I mean, these have been issues which have been long-standing at least for the last two decades. Uh, uh, we, I mean, the stakeholders have discussed the concern with uh, this round of farm uh, uh, enactments, the farm legislations, is that there has not been that consultation. In fact, as was already pointed out, I mean, there are states like Bihar which did away with the APMC. Uh, act uh, at least 10 years, 12 years back. And there has been mixed results of that. There has been uh, benefits, there has been certain uh, costs as well. In certain cases, the APMC Mondays uh, continue to persist as for the maize production and all, in spite of not being uh, regulated uh, by the Act or stipulated by the Act. So there are, I mean, the agricultural market system itself is far too complex to look at it in a black and white uh, uh, manner of uh, private versus uh, regulation. In fact, private players need to be brought in, but they also need, there needs to be regulation on them as well. And if that is missing, that is where the concern comes from. And and in this round of uh, enactment, the consultation with the stakeholders have not happened. And therefore, we are probably look at, looking at very thin binary solutions, which probably will not work. Uh, Dr. Narayanan, would you say that the impact of these bills will be differential across different states uh, uh, in the country, given that our farming patterns in different parts are quite varied? Yeah, without doubt. Uh, And as Professor Banerjee said, uh, agricultural production systems and marketing systems are extremely complex. And uh, what we are going to see is not just differences across states, but also within state across regions. And it's obvious when you think about it more carefully. On the, on the one hand, a lot of the regulatory uncertainty that is associated with these new bills means that different states, are go- how are they going to enforce it on the ground? So it's going to, how different states interpret the laws, how local uh, uh, rules are enforced. There is a huge uh, lack of clarity on how it will unfold. So on the administration side and enforcement, it's not clear how the central government can prevent states from uh, not uh, allowing trade outside in the trade areas. We don't see any mechanism by which this law will be enforced. The other thing, which is, I think, uh, more interesting and uh, and uh, less predictable is that many private players actually don't uh, private players don't go to all regions to procure or connect with farmers they also have to minimize the costs of procurement so historically if you look at contract farming it's developed in the north in the south and in the west but not in the east and even within that if you look at peri-urban agriculture they are more likely to attract buyers because they are closer to big markets so in some sense which we call it placement effects agribusinesses look to where they can best work and usually it becomes uh, places with better infrastructure higher farm productivity where farmers are more literate 
and even larger farmers within the region they may select larger farmers because the costs of dealing with a lot of smallholders is very high so they prefer to go to a few large farmers to make up their volumes so you are going to see a very very uneven distribution of where businesses will actually enter and even within that there is also a concern that you may not have the multiple buyers in the same area so because this is because agri businesses also coordinate and they be function best where there is they don't have competition so this idea that multiple private enterprises will come and bid up prices for the farmers in reality i have not seen that happen very often i've worked on contract farming and usually contract farming businesses talk to each other and they say they agree to carve up areas and say and say we won't step on each other's toes because it's uh, it's a loose loose proposition so i work in this area and you you work in this area so these kind of arrangements are uh, very common and so the answer to your question is we cannot expect the, these bills to impact all states equally but not even all regions or all farmers equally and that's been what we have learned anyway that there are states where there is high unequal maharashtra is a good example where around nashik and uh, pune you have huge horticultural production that's procured whereas if you go into the hinterland uh, you you won't see any procurement of horticulture uh, so i think this is very dependent on production systems as well as proximity to markets and lower costs of transactions so i think uh, that's absolutely correct one other point i'd like to add is uh, different states have already reformed uh, markets and as uh, professor banerji said bihar uh, kerala mizoram they don't have apmc acts at all so the incremental impact that these bills have is going to be different yeah because where private players are already there the only additional benefit they get from these bills is now they don't have to pay mandi charges whether they transfer it to the farmers or not is a different issue but different states are going to have different impacts on where they are currently with allowing private players so yes you are going to see a huge uh, heterogeneous uh, heterogeneity in impacts uh, as things unfold okay interesting point you raised about you know how uh, you've seen contract farming players eventually carve up uh, you know territories make it a, a big boys club you know one of the big uh, concerns that people have been saying is the possibility that uh, big retail players and corporates could end up monopolizing certain parts of the market so is the concern that such buying by a few large retailers or uh, corporates could go against uh, farmer interests a valid one and given uh, that both of you would have looked at how global precedents in such areas in other countries might have uh, played out uh, could we learn something from other markets on this i would like both of you to come in on this so since i uh, let me continue with that thought sure. i think uh, internationally we've always seen cartels so the french dairy producers in fact in the us even the dairy co farmers cooperatives have actually become uh, huge players so uh, we do see a lot of buyer cartels who actually uh, fix the price and uh, in fact that's one of the reasons why both in the eu and the us there is they are taking a very hard look at their own supply chains uh, to reduce the power of consolidation in india actually it's going to be a little uh, less predictable because uh, big players 
themselves want to minimize cost and uh, they may not want to go into uh, so there is a way in which the traditional marketing channels are very resilient and they they actually function efficiently if the farmer goes to a trader uh, it is for multiple reasons not just for the sale of crop because the trader extends credit and is much more uh, they have a much deeper relationship and of uh, trust and the trader will take all kinds of quality and the farmer has runs has a lot of risks dealing with the big players to to, to some extent it's not a given that the big players will come in and set up uh, shop and they'll uh, crowd out other players but uh, if they manage to get in a play uh, into a place there are two ways in which i have seen them operate one is to try and crowd out competition the others to co-opt them so as i said agri businesses find it hard especially big businesses are well positioned to contract or uh, interact with a lot of farmers because they have the uh, field staff and the you know manpower to actually put people in the field but eventually many of them end up actually co-opting farmer cooperatives or anybody who's able to aggregate uh, produce for them so in fact what you have is uh, even though uh, we keep saying that these bills will facilitate direct transactions with farmers what we are seeing is actually what i'd call not disintermediation but reintermediation so uh, companies will go in and find that it's too expensive to work with a large number of farmers and then look for intermediaries who'll aggregate produce for them so in some sense rather than competition you'll either have co-option or you'll have uh, monopsony where they are trying to drive out the competition of course this is not happening all over and it's also impossible to predict what is going to happen for which crop in which area a lot depends on the context but i think we have seen all of these happen so it's not uh, uh, it's it we should expect many of these things to happen yeah i mean i completely agree with uh, professor narayanan on that point i mean if you look at the global experience i mean corporate food markets uh, globally are all about monopolies or duopolies uh, two or three uh, companies practically kind of control uh, 60 to 70% of of total trade in in many crops now in, in the case of, and, and that is something that we can very much expect to happen but the what i'm more concerned about uh, as i i mean uh, we already noted that uh, private trade in agricultural commodities is not something that's going to start from tomorrow it has existed for several years uh, several decades now in india what is the new usefulness I, i mean if we try to think of it from the perspective of uh, big capital what is the new usefulness of this bills uh i mean pepsi has been in the potato uh, kind of value chains uh, there are several other examples of contract farming which are already there i think uh, what is uh, the new thrust area is the grain trade in india and uh, in the indian grain trade and that is where the procurement uh, uh, by the government happens where one fourth of the uh, of the crops are uh, i mean the grains are wheat and rice are procured uh we can have a lot of criticism about the wheat rice uh, structure and why it was not extended beyond that made more diverse and all of that uh, pda should have been made more diverse all of those are valid points but clearly i think global corporates are eyeing the grain market with more than 90 million tons of food grains in our stocks it is very much clear that uh, the, there is a massive uh, market to play around with only if uh, there is a relative shift of weight from the government regulation 
to the private players. For example, what I'm trying to say is that if the government actually continues to procure, as the as the as the government has promised, uh, that uh, the MSPs will stay and the procurement will happen, if that is what uh, really keeps on happening, and the food stocks, uh, given that we are not distributing those procured food prints adequately through our public distribution system, uh, even as hunger persists in many areas of the country, uh, then these large stocks are going to stay. Even with the pandemic measures, the stocks have uh, kind of not reduced. So that clearly shows that that's a big uh, uh, stock uh, uh, of food grains, which if, however, is released from the government quotas, that is, over the next few years, these food grains actually stop coming to the FCI uh, because procurement uh, reduces, then it opens up a huge market. I'll tell you uh, how what is the significance of this, something like uh, some stocks like this. Uh, between uh, 2009 and 2030, uh, in around five-year period, when uh, the global uh, rice and wheat prices were very high, it started declining globally after that, India actually undertook uh, unprecedented exports in those five years of 77 million tons of food grains. Uh, now, what is 77 million tons of food grains? It is the annual consumption of the entire southern region of Europe, which is a developed region. So, India alone could actually supply the annual consumption of entire southern Europe in five years when global prices were high. Of course, that those exports are not happening now given that prices have fallen. There, is, there are demand problems all over in different countries uh, as a result of, uh, the, of economic uh, slowdowns. But this is the market that global corporates are looking at. Companies like uh, Cargill and Glencore and and, 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 and also, also our Indian companies, I think Reliance with money from Facebook and all these North Atlantic companies now having got, uh, having been infused in Reliance. Reliance is looking at, uh, as, at, at big retail operations in agriculture. Uh, the, the buying out of the future group actually signifies that. Uh, I think Adani group is also looking at agricultural sector and uh, even Amazon is looking at it. So there are, these are really big players who are looking at it. And there is a reason for that. Uh, the reason is that the pandemic over the last six months globally has caused massive disruption of jobs and incomes. But consequently, it has caused a massive disruption for capital and profits as well. And relatively, I mean, given that there has been this uh, significant cutbacks in consumption of goods and services, relatively agricultural goods actually have uh, suffered less because these are necessary items in consumption baskets and you simply cannot do away with it. People are holding back money so that they can survive uh, through the pandemic and given that the virus scare is not yet over. So there is uh, less chance of revival of demand of industrial goods and service sector goods to a pre-pandemic level in the near future. And this is where big capital is trying to shift into the agricultural commodity trade in a much bigger scale than it has ever done before, such that uh, it can recover some of its uh, lost profits. That's that's a very interesting point. Actually, in fact, I was going to talk about the fact that uh, the bills do tend to tend to introduce certain uncertainty in the farm sector, and uh, given that in the first quarter of this financial year we've just had growth coming only from the farm sector. Uh, and of course, uh, some of the concerns that have emerged on these bills. Would you say that 
this is the right reform uh, maybe not entirely in its structure and uh, its process followed without consultations but is this sort of a right reform at the wrong time uh, especially from the farmers point of view uh, i would say i would say it's a, it's a wrong reform uh, it does not say all of that on pa- pen and pa- paper on in the bills but it's a wrong reform uh, irrespective of whether the time is right or wrong simply because of this point uh, that uh, if you are if this bills if this bills uh, do not lead to undermining undermining of the grain procurement system in india then i don't see what these bills are for what purpose these bills will really serve uh, second uh, if it undermines the grain procurement system it has significant not only economic social implications it has significant political federal implications uh, implications for the political structure of the country if you look at the first recommendation uh, that the uh, santa kumar committee report had made and all of this is now happening in a very indirect manner the first recommendation that it made is that the central government the fci should not take any responsibility for grain procurement the responsibility should be entirely with the states and the states should procure grain only uh, as per their own pds requirements they should not procure grain over and above the public distribution system now you have over time reduced the public distribution system uh, requirements by dividing the population artificially using uh, erroneous poverty lines you have divided divided the population into below poverty line and above poverty line so you reduced your pds requirements that's one of the major reasons why the food stocks uh, kind of pile up uh, in the government go downs and they cannot be distributed because of the uh, of the bpl uh, kind of uh, uh, clause now if you tell the states that it you just uh, kind of uh, meet your own pds requirements i'll tell you what is the problem the punjab farmers yes they are protesting today but if you look at the economic uh, possibilities for the punjab farmers they produce much more surplus than what their own pds requires anyway the levels of poverty in uh, states like punjab haryana uh, some of the north indian states are much lower compared to many other states now Kerala is not a poor state. Maharashtra is not a poor state, but both Kerala and Maharashtra, which are not poor states, are still deficit in grain production. They do not produce enough grain because this is a resultant of the biodiversity that exists in the country. Now Kerala, Kerala actually uh, exports cash crops and it earns foreign exchange, which goes into the government kitty. So there is a federal social contract between states. that i earn foreign exchange it goes to the central government kitty in turn you are responsible for my food security so any kind of a law or any kind of a government policy intention which ultimately undermines the centralized uh, procurement system is also going to lead to uh, federal conflicts within the within the political structure so why would kerala uh, not want to become an independent country and say that i earn my own foreign exchange and i buy uh, food from the global markets for my food security if the if the central government is not going to take that uh, uh, responsibility of transfer i'm procuring grain from the grain surplus areas and transporting them uh, through complex mechanisms uh, into the food deficit regions so so that's a major concern that still remains Uh, so i don't think it's a correct uh, reform as long as there is a possibility of undermining the uh, public distribution system with all its flaws and the procurement system with all its
Okay. Professor Narayanan, uh, would you like to add to that? And I also wanted to ask you one more thing about, uh, you know, given that this everything is being done in the name of giving farmers more choices, uh, shouldn't they also have more predictable uh, overall policies to cope with? For instance, you know, we keep changing our export norms for onions and potatoes and what have you. And these every time the domestic prices go up, you know, you start clamp down on onion exports or rice exports or what have you. So do we need more predictability even on the food trade policy, uh, even if uh, the rest of the, these reforms fall into place? Yeah, I think uh, let me start with uh, your latter question. Uh, what you said is very important. Uh, and if you look at what happened after these ordinances were passed, we had the recent ban on export of onions. and. Uh, the farmers are not getting a signal that these bills are in fact farmer-centric. So I started saying that what is not said in the bill is actually just as problematic as what it says. And I think Professor Banerjee has done a very good job of outlining the fears. So there's nothing in the bill that says what procurement policy is going to be. And that's precisely the problem. And even if I wanted to have a, a positive or optimistic view of the government's intentions, they have just undermined those and uh, by, by banning export of onions. So farmers are left with saying, well, in fact, these bills are not really for the farmer if you're going out to ban onions. So in general, when you want to have protect the interests of the consumers, while not undermining the interests of the farmers, you, you have a, 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 an array of policies that work together. You can't say, I'm not going to use the Essential Commodities Act and uh, then uh, try to influence consumer prices by introducing a policy that hurts farmers. So these kind of contradictions is what is really worrying for the farmer. And you may not say it, or you may give us assurances that MSP won't go away. But what they, what you're doing is actually suggesting that farmer is not the center of uh, these bills. It's not farmer-centric and it's uh, benefiting uh, private players. That said, let me go back to your first question. You asked if the this is the right kind of reform at the wrong time. Uh, I want to say that, see, the goals of the reform, I think there are many, uh, many people who would agree on this across ideological spectrum that farmers need a better deal, right? But there are multiple ways to do this. And if you ask yourself honestly, is this the best way to do it? Far from it. Right. In fact, it's it might actually end up hurting the farmers because you've done such a uh, shabby job of putting together uh, an architecture that uh, will support farmer interests. So uh, when you look at uh, that, this is not really the right reform. And let's look at what they could have done. It is true that, uh, see, agricultural supply chains have changed dramatically in the recent past. The emergence of ag tech players is a very, very important issue. So now you have ag tech players, and I'm told that one in nine new ag tech startups worldwide is actually in India. And this is, this area has just been booming. And in 2019, I think ag tech startups in India were able to raise substantial venture capital and funding. 
now and they're all uh, many of them are small enterprises at least at the moment and many of them are also call themselves social enterprises with this sort of uh, stated goal of trying to work for the farmers and they are all using artificial intelligence data analytics tech platforms and it is true that at the moment our apmc acts and all of that have nothing to say about any of these new technologies and players so it is very important for us to have a new regulatory framework which is not state specific but pan india that enables the uh, and uh, has checks and balances as well as facilitation of all of these new uh, technologies that are emerging but that cannot happen a pan india act can does not mean overriding state interests it also needs to fit in well with the apmc acts and that has to come not just from consultation but consultation not just with act, the actic players or the big businesses but also a whole range of people who work on data privacy issues uh, of farmer groups and uh, academics who understand the field very well so i think it has to be a very broad based consultative pro- process and here it actually goes back to this big bang reforms versus gradualism and there i always feel gradualism is better because you have a lot of allowance for course correction and learning there is the big bang big bang reforms actually you end up doing something with potentially disastrous consequences but which are hard to reverse and i think we've got ourselves into that so if you ask me if it's the right kind of reform i would say that i can see what they are trying to do maybe through this act they are trying to force state governments to respond by uh, reforming their acts but it's definitely not the best way to go about it and the states could also race to the bottom right we are already seeing different states dropping their mandi charges rapidly to ensure a level playing field and that means less revenue for them to reinvest if the punjab model is seen as a success of apmc it's because the density of apmc markets is very high the revenue is large and it's plowed back into infrastructure and you lose that virtuous circle and as i as we already discussed the private players are not going to all farmers and it's going to be very uneven so the state will continue to need revenue generate resources to reinvest in strengthening systems in marginal areas so i think you're losing this act is not only coming at the wrong time or maybe it's coming at the right time but it's the wrong kind of reform uh so maybe that's the way i see it yeah sure sure i'll just like you know that mean on that yeah. uh, very briefly i mean uh, i mean just to kind of uh, build up on what professor narayan is saying i think what was missing and which is why uh, even if it, if if uh, nothing shows on paper the government's intention is becoming suspect is is a proper consultative process through which uh, this kind of enactment should have been done i mean indian agriculture is a very complex ecosystem uh, farming itself is a very complex ecosystem with various kinds of uh, factors uh, in different regions uh, playing out so for example i mean a contract farming uh, law i mean if you are trying to encourage contract farming uh, there needs to be consultations of course with farmers but also with environmental uh groups environment uh, because uh, contract farming particularly driven by big capital uh the experience in many countries shows that it has different kinds of impacts on the on the uh, biodiversity and other kinds of things in the in the in, in, in the farming system so 
those uh, the consultations have been completely missing farmers in india uh, in different states are supporting different political parties even in single states uh, or single regions different groups of farmers for uh, uh, support different political parties so it's a very diverse kind of a social system as well so in such a complex uh, uh, system when you are enacting laws if you do not uh, remember that all these three bills actually were promulgated as ordinances in sometime in april or may uh, in the middle of the lockdown so those ordinances are being converted into bills and acts now so there was a significant there was time and there was a significant uh, very important requirement for proper consultations with maximum possible stakeholders and then you can uh, come up with a much better law as well uh one last question of course this is a subject that is so uh, deep and complex like you both have mentioned but i'm sure both of us all of us uh, could go on talking about this for a few more hours but i'll of course try to uh, get some sense from you on this latest demand uh, that uh, politicians from the opposition as well as some of the farmer groups are making about uh, somehow including the minimum support price into the legal framework for these bills so that they have an assurance that they will not be selling uh, below a particular level does that make sense to you because the government has been saying there no you know all these years we have not had msp embedded in the law so uh, why now is that some kind of a solution for now yeah i read that uh, in today's uh, newspaper as well that the government is saying that it was not a law earlier it's fine one has to recognize that we have we have moved from the fci was formed uh, in the 1960s uh, uh, 1965 in the uh, as a response to a significant food shortage in the country uh, we were not even producing enough to feed uh, our people uh, from that point we have indeed made progress where food production has gone up and uh, in the in the early 90s of course uh, we were not any more a food shortage Uh, country but at the same time that did not mean that the problem of uh, hunger and nutrition was addressed uh, by the 90s it still continues to persist because there is a mal distribution of uh, food grains uh, and that is largely because uh, in and that is happening in spite of the public distribution system so clearly markets have their own logic which uh, they have always played so one has to recognize that we have the the economic political regime in which the food corporation of india was set up was a completely different uh, driven by a completely different philosophy from what we have now where uh, post liberalization private players and private capital have a much greater role to play in the economy which is fine but then you also need regulations for uh, those private players so if today a situation has emerged where there is a perceived uh, uh, concern a threat about uh, the government public procurement system uh, there is a possibility of that getting undermined then uh, uh, i think it's a valid demand to kind of uh, include a clause regarding procurement or maybe just bring in another law to actually uh, statutorily uh, kind of taking responsibility of that that would quell a lot of uh, fears and anxieties so uh, so let me uh... start by saying that given that these ordinances or bills now are quite problematic i wouldn't want an msp clause to be introduced into the current bills i think uh, if these bills are flawed 
we have to think of ways of fixing them. And I think the MSP question is larger and more complex and deserves a very serious consultative process and its own dedicated act. Now, the two may not be compatible, right? Uh, because you can't say, I want to get private players, but insist which price they deal with. And and that's going to be self-defeating both for the MSP as well as to promote private participation. Uh, so I think there is a bigger issue there. But let, let's look at the MSP. The reason I'm saying that it has to be a separate uh, question with a very deep consultative process is because their farmers uh, from Punjab may disagree with farmers from Bihar. Uh, so essentially, the premise is that it's impossible for the government to procure everything, everyone grows everywhere for all crops at the MSP, right? So how are you going to then em- enforce the MSP? Uh, there have been interesting suggestions there. Uh, one suggestion, in fact, was that let's if the APMCs were functioning as they would under the old regime, then you would ensure that all bidding starts at the MSP, which kind of ensures that the MSP starts at a four flow price and that would uh, be in, infused in the APMC system. We've lost that opportunity now because now if you say in APMC, you'll start with minimum support price, but outside you can do whatever you want, then it makes no sense anymore. So I think we lost some opportunities to creatively ensure without direct procurement uh, on a kind of implicit price flow. Uh, I think the question of MSP is uh, much harder to do. See, we always have this example of China, right? China is quite non-transparent about how much food grain stocks it holds. But there was a time in the, uh, about a decade, more than a decade ago, when I think it perceived that the rural urban inequality was growing and that they would have to come up with a price support or price-based intervention. And they set the minimum support prices so high that they ended up with large stocks and they could not be competitive in the world market for export. And they could not find a way to distribute it within the country. Now, we don't we know very little about China because they, they, uh, they do not have very transparent processes on what they do and how they go about it. But there is this fear that if we keep an MSP that's, uh, that actually forces the government to procure way more than it needs, then unless you have a very uh, a well-planned distribution system, and this is something Professor Banerjee elaborated beautifully, that you need, the, you need to work on that entire system. And I think whether it makes economic sense for the government and who's going to take responsibility, the states versus the center, and how is it going to be geographically distributed and across crops is not an easy question to answer. So even if you were to go for an MSP legislation, I think there needs to be a very serious discussion of all of these different aspects. And as of now, for example, you have decentralized procurement in Madhya Pradesh, Odisha, Chhattisgarh. Then you have an FCI-driven procurement. How are these systems going to transition in a new regime? So I I would say keep these separate. And uh, again, uh, the MSP is a much more challenging question. We've lost some opportunities to influence or have an implicit price flow through the APMC by going for these bills. So you need to, in some sense, start over and rethink the MSP and how it can be, uh, uh, how, how it can offer a credible price flow. 
to more farmers and across crops uh, thank you that's uh, really helpful to give some uh, insights into the complexities of agriculture and the challenges it faces uh, given that there is still time before these bills translate into law once the president gives his assent and rules and regulations are framed and notified is there any uh, given the current structure of the bills is there any scope for some minor course corrections uh, to reduce the uncertainties that uh, the current bills are going to create uh, i think uh, the course correction that would need are not minor uh the bills do allow no it says the uh, government may regulate may collect data so in some sense there's a small window for uh correction at the margin i think that's not going to do it uh and as i heard today the kerala government is now t- filing a case against this uh, these bills uh, as undermining uh, federal federalism right and uh, encroaching on state so this is going to be very different we should i don't think if fixing the a flawed thing is uh, the bills is it has to be more fundamental it can't be at the margin uh, yeah i would agree uh, with uh, professor narayanan on that i think there cannot be minor tweaks here and there uh, but major corrections need to be done Uh, and what is important i think is that the consultative process that was missing uh, within our federal democratic structure at least some amount of that needs to be uh, done because i mean again i may sound like an alarmist but at the face of it i can see that bills like this if it undermines the grain procurement system in our country uh, if that is the result it has potential Uh, possibilities of balkanization of the country it's not simply a matter of uh, a farmers anymore it's a much deeper question <coughs> and that's a worrying thought to leave our uh, readers and view- listeners on but i do hope that you know amidst all the noise uh, that we have seen over the past few days uh, over these three farm bills Uh, our readers are now better equipped to navigate this noise and sort of make sense of what's important what's not uh, of course uh, like i said we can carry on discussing this for hours and still not get bored but uh, uh, we should hope to have you back with us again and uh, in future as these as these bills and their implications play out and uh, i'll be happy to pick your brains again on this but I would like to really thank you both today for patiently taking time out and uh, sparing uh, uh, sparing uh, your time and sharing insights with our readers on these issues. And uh, we hope uh, you enjoyed the same. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.